Hi, I'm Bethan. And I'm Libby. We love true crime, but we are not qualified to talk about it. Oh, so like every other white woman out there? So anyways, murder. How are you, Bethan? Why have you drink first? I'm good, thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no, I haven't seen you that much today. Oh, we, yeah. Again, we spent the last four hours together. But generally, I have not seen you as much as I normally do. No, I've been... Tuesdays are quite busy for me, I think. Yeah, me. So we don't see each other loads on Tuesdays. <sighs> I don't get to do TV like that, we normally do. Anyway, how are you? I'm, I'm very good, actually. We have one listener in Washington. Washington. Who are you? DM us. We are I'd like to know. How did you find... How did you find this podcast? You've got a personal shout out now, and that's really cool. We love you. Everyone else is from the UK, and honestly, I think are our it's friends. It's just our friends. But yeah. we don't know anyone in Washington, which means you are a true stranger. Anyway, right, we'll yeah. crack on. Crack on with We've run all that for six minutes, so. Yeah. You, know what the, you know what this case is? I we do. Just, this we've is, already discussed it. This is the first time that we've discussed what the case is before, because we both... Mentioned wanting to do it. wanted to do this, and Libby was like, I'm doing it. Because... You swooped in. I swooped in, I grabbed it when I could. Um, we are doing the only unsolved case of air piracy in commercial aviation history. Oh my lord. I don't know if that's now, I don't know if that's just the US or the world. It makes it sound so interesting. Wow. <laughs> wow. It actually is. It, it actually is. <laughs> it's in the case of D.B. Cooper. Oh, I love him so much. Yeah. Also, just the best being unsolved video of this makes it's me really So laugh. funny. So I really hope we can be as funny. Oh, do you think D.B. Cooper, the reason he's so funny is because he's related to Davy May and Charlie Cooper? <gasps> Do you think Maybe. from this country? Do you think that's why he's so I'm not funny? sure they have any American connection or whatsoever. Let me believe. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. They really are very funny, so yeah. it could be. Let's crack on with the case. Oh, I was about to say somebody was murder. There's There's no murder. There's no murder in this. Um which means we can joke about quite a bit because it's actually yeah. just a funny case. It is just funny. No one turns out to be traumatised, fine. We can fully let loose. Maybe the Ashton does it. No, I don't I think they were uh, fine. I've got some quotes in them. They seem pretty chill about it all. Chill. Love it. Um, so we can really, like, I feel like we can really joke now. Okay. Um, because I would, I would feel, you know, I would feel it won't feel inappropriate at all. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so on the afternoon of November 24th, which is Thanksgiving, it was, or at least it was Thanksgiving, um, 1971, a nondescript man calling himself Dan Cooper approached the counter of Northwest Orient Airlines in Portland, Oregon. He used cash to buy a one-way ticket on flight 305 bound for Seattle. Or, oh, yeah, Seattle, Washington. <laughs> As if there's any other <laughs> Seattle. No, Seattle, Birmingham. Yeah. On a Boeing 727-100. Thus began one of the great unsolved mysteries in FBI history. Whoa! I know. It's got the FBI. Cooper was a quiet man who appeared to be in his mid forties, wearing a business suit with a black tie and a white shirt. Was it a travelling suit? It was not. It was not a travelling <laughs> suit. Damn it! Yeah, my dad has a very iconic travelling suit that he wears. So no, it could have oh. been that. Da- it could have been DB Cooper's travelling suit, though. You know, true, true. He ordered a drink, a bourbon and soda. Do we have anything to comment on that? Uh, I've had soda, but I have not had bourbon. I've had bourbon. I've had bourbon. We'll have, but to, we'll have to try that sometime. I think maybe. We, yeah, we should have like a serial killer night or like a, a crime night. Where yeah. we have like cocktails based on different ones. Sounds good. I've had Southern Comfort and Lemonade, yeah. which was I had that in the first episode. Yeah. It was really nice. Um, but I don't like soda. I don't particularly like bourbon, so I'm not oh, really I sure. Oh, I like soda as a fizzy drink. Is it a specific drink? I think in America they just call soda. I think that may be fizzy water. Oh, that's embarrassing. Oh, I don't. Oh, but it could be Coke though. The one, like the it. one listener from Washington, tell us what they mean by soda, soda. please. Thank you. Anyway, <laughs> unimportant. 
And while the flight was waiting to take off, he ordered a bourbon and soda. He sat at the rear end of the plane. He's sitting, right, you know how all British people, if they sit at the back of the bus, are really cool. Yeah. I think he's he sitting is, yeah. He's ordered, he's he's ordered specifically, the bourbon and soda. He's like, sitting at the back, lads. Sitting at the back, back of the bus, back of the bus. <laughs> like, he's like, year sevens, fuck off. Yeah, exactly. And a short time after 3pm, which is just after takeoff, Cooper handed a note to Florence Schaffner, a flight attendant situated near him in a jump seat attached to the letter to the, the door, I guess. Mm. So, the, yeah, the seat's next to the door. Yeah. And he handed her a note. Oh, this is my favourite bit. <laughs> I like this. I, I really like this so much. So, Cooper handed uh, Schaffner a note, and she just assumed it was him like, giving oh, her his phone number. <laughs> She was like, ew, no. She was like, ew. she just like put it in her pocket and was like, okay then. She was like, right. She's like, well, don't know if she had a boyfriend or not at that point. But, but she was just like clearly we'll not get, like, into Dan Cooper. Well, I mean, well, she was on the, she was on, she was on the job, she was on the job she though. Do. So someone hands her a phone and she's like, okay, I'll just save she's this like, for later. Oh, I'll just like phone you now. It's like, yeah, it's like we're 3,000 feet in the air. I can't yeah. phone you. True, true. Anyways, she just assumed that he was hitting on her and then he was... This is my favourite thing he's ever said. Uh, so she just sort of like, you know, popped it in her purse and then Cooper leaned over and whispered, Miss, you better have a look at the note. I have a bomb. <laughs> She's like, oh, she read the situation <laughs> wrong. Oh, shit, baby. Oh, she really okay. read the situation right. wrong. If you were her and you came home and you were like, someone, I thought he was giving me his number, but turned out he was a terrorist. I'd never let you live that down. No. The fact that you thought a terrorist was coming along. Yeah, I know. Oh, oh amazing. Um, as Cooper took back the note, he wanted the note back as well. He's like, really, right, you can't have my like, number. He's like, don't have it. The exact, uh, so the exact wording actually remains unknown, but it, uh, Schaffner recalled that it had said that Cooper had a bomb in his case. So it was not a phone number. Oh, no. Um, opening a, te- a cheap attaché, is it attaché? Attaché. And once again, can't pronounce a word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Opening a cheap briefcase, essentially. Um, Cooper showed her a glimpse of a mass of wires and red-coloured sticks and demanded that she write down what he told her. Soon, she was walking a new note to the captain of the plane that demanded four parachutes, two primary and two reserves. Four? <laughs> two, yeah, I know, it's only one of them. How heavy is he? Well, he was, I think he was a very slim build. He's got bad self-esteem. Yeah, maybe. But two primary and two reserve parachutes. Oh, strange. Um, $200,000 in $20 bills which he had put as negotiable American currency. No idea what that means, but one other thing said it was $20 bills. So, yeah. Who knows? Okay. Um, and a fuel truck on standby in Seattle to refuel the aircraft on arrival. Uh, I was going to say, I was like, I, I forgot that they were planning to land at Seattle and like, yeah, stuff. I was like, right, mate, I don't want to lie to you. But I don't think all the passengers are gonna have twenty thousand dollars in twenty. No, 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 no. It's like I forgot that they were landing. They were landing like, in Seattle, and he wanted like them to take off again to, yeah, to head to towards Mexico City. Oh. Um, I also love how he was there. Like he offered to request meals for the flight during like, the stopover. Like, how nice how kind of cute though. Be like, do you want me to add a few meals for you guys? He's like, I can. I can, yeah. I can do that. It's like that. I am holding here at Ransom sort of, so I have all the power I need. Yeah. There's an episode of Criminal Minds that me and our housemate were watching, and the person was like, I'd like some fried chicken, please. Yeah. And they were like, I was him, except it. he did it for the crew. He was like, like, I'll treat you. I'll treat you. I'll treat you. It's and on they were, me. They're like, oh my God. I am currently about to get $200,000, so I can And there's I can a possibility spare. I'll blow you up. Yeah, so I, I'll, I'll spare a few meals. On me, I'll take the tap. Anyway, so it's not like he'd be paying. Is it? True, he's like the governor playing. Yeah. So order, order the lobster. Stop <laughs> it. Uh, flight attendant Tina Mucklow recalled that Cooper appeared familiar with the local terrain 
At one point he remarked, looks like Tacoma down there, as the aircraft flew above it. He also correctly mentioned that the McCord Air Force Base was only a 20-minute drive at the time from Seattle Tacoma Airport. Schaffner described him as a calm, polite and well-spoken person, not at all consistent with the stereotypes popularly associated with air piracy at the time. Mm -hmm. He wasn't nervous, McClough told investigators. He seemed rather nice. He was never cruel or nasty. He was thoughtful and calm all the time. Um, And he ordered a second bourbon and soda and paid for his drink tab. And also attempted to give McClough the change. (laughs) He was tipping as well! Have to admit, for an, for someone committing quite yeah. a large crime, air piracy, had a bomb, yeah. he was very courteous. Uh, I have a sidebar about tipping, which you can edit out if you want. Okay. I found out the origin of tipping was when they like stopped the segregation rules and stuff. It was so that people could pay extra to the white waitresses. No. So that they still were basically like... Earning more. Yeah, and basically it was still like a way of well being racist but for them they saw it as a way of like keeping the status quo i found out this morning i was like i hate that so much it's like I'm so that's annoyed. made me really angry yeah so oh ugh, gross now i've now obviously I'm, i am gonna now, tip now every time i'm gonna waitresses. tip i'm gonna be like oh no when the flight landed in seattle the hijacker exchanged the flight's 36 passengers for the money and parachutes Cooper kept several crew members and the plane took off again, ordered to set a course for Mexico City. Mm-hmm. And at this point, the hijacked plane was now trailed by five other planes. So they had tabs on them. Mm. They had tabs. Somewhere between Seattle and Reno, a little after 8pm. So they'd been on this flight now for five hours. Yeah. And I don't believe Portland, Oregon is that far away from Seattle, Washington. <laughs> I have no concept of I don't believe ever. the one person from Washington listening... <laughs> We're just asking a question because it's in America now. Yeah. Am I correct? Please confirm whenever this goes up. They probably just listened to one episode of me. If you're back for more. Please. Please. Just confirm this for me. So yeah, so somewhere between Seattle and Reno at a little after 8pm, D.B. Cooper jumped out the back of the plane with a parachute and the ransom money. Did he say anything to anyone? He was like, nope, just pop into the loo, guys. And maybe sometime. He yeeted himself out of that plane. He was like, he's like, goodbye. He just opened the door. Yeah, he, he opened the door and leapt out. He was like, see you later, baby. See ya. I like to imagine he did do a little salute as well as he went. Yeah, except no one saw him do it, so there was no one to witness. Or I like to think that he thought that people were looking at him, but like... And they weren't. They were just looking they were busy. over, like, at the other side. And he was like, goodbye, motherfucker. Goodbye. Like, little fingers up, and then, and then he's like... No one saw that. And as he's falling, he's like, oh, I, can I do that one again? He's like, can we do, can we do a rerun? Can we go from the top, ladies? Us doing this podcast. Yeah. I'll let it out. out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, also like to, I also like to imagine him waiting at the door for about 15 minutes for anyone to come. And be like, he's like, well, fuck this. Cause like, come on, guys. Yeah. I'm trying to do a dramatic exit here. I need uh, an audience. Or like if one of the um, one of the air stewardesses was like, go on then, jump. And he's like, mm. I'm not doing it now, am I? <laughs> I'm not doing... So you've ruined it. It's not special now, is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh. The pilots landed safely. They were probably like, oh, that was a bit weird. <laughs> and then just... Yeah, it was honestly kind of anticlimactic for them. Yeah, like imagine if you were just flying and then you're like, wait... He's, he's, he's gone. gone. There's no threat anymore. The bomb is gone. Oh, like, Michael Falker. Did he take it with him? I don't know. Should I? I thought you said he jumped out with the. Oh, no, he jumped out. No, with he the jumped out with the with the money and the parachute. Maybe they just landed and then took the bomb. Diffused the bomb. Yeah. Because there's no one then. As long as it's not a timer, it's not going to go off. Probably is it? If he's that far away from it, also it probably couldn't be radioed. Oh. True. 
I don't know. Anyway, Cooper, Cooper disappeared into the night and his ultimate fate remains a mystery to this day. So now we're moving on to the investigation now. Exciting. So the FBI learned of the crime in flight and immediately opened an extensive investigation that lasted many years, calling it Norjack, the Northwest hijacking, and interviewed hundreds of people, tracked leads across the nation and scoured the aircraft for evidence. Mm-hmm. By the five-year anniversary of the hijacking, they'd considered... 800 suspects and eliminated all but two dozen from consideration. Oh my god. One person from the FBI list, Richard Floyd McCoy, is still a favourite suspect among among many. Mm-hmm. He was tracked down and arrested for a similar airplane hijacking and escape by parachute less than five months after Cooper's flight. But McCoy was later ruled out because he didn't match the nearly identical physical descriptions of Cooper provided by two flight attendants and for other reasons. Okay. So I, th- I believe they'd taken the two flight attendants... Yeah. If he got them to give... Yeah, so... I mean, if they had been with him for about five hours... They'd not... have known him pretty well. Like, it's a high-pressure situation. Oh, I missed out my favourite fact! Okay. Can I go back and yeah, say my favourite fact? Just to circle back now to, um... To when... This is a very professional podcast, guys. Yeah, exactly. No one's paying us to do this. I can do what I like. I don't have to be professional. Okay. Um... <laughs> anyway, circling back to when... To the original flight, he... Had just said he had a bomb, gotten um, Schaffner to go and give the note yeah. to the captain to be like, you've got to land and tell the people yeah, the reporters, get everything. Um, Schaffner came back and noted that Cooper was wearing dark sunglasses. Like, <laughs> He'd put sunglasses on. Oh, Why? I, I like so unnecessary. It was like Guy Fieri, and he was wearing yeah. them on the back of his head yes. for the whole time, and then just like, <laughs> yeah, like just flicked him down and was like, why do you wear sunglasses on an airplane? He flicks them down, sits in form of soda and just goes, got a bomb, ladies. Yeah. Do you want some food as well? Because I'm like, to get I, back you too. He's like, all jokes aside, like, would you... Are like, you guys hungry? It's like, do you want, do you have any dietary requirements? Just want to check. Any vegetarian, vegan? Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's... Aww. He's, he's a sweetheart. We love him. <laughs> um... We don't know anything about this man. He could be an awful person. Um, Back to the investigation. But there are some theories that Cooper didn't survive the jump from the plane. After all, the parachute he used couldn't be steered. His clothing and footwear were unsuitable for a rough rough landing and he Mm. wore wearing a suit. Mm. Um, And he had jumped into a wooded area at night. He's got his sunglasses on. And he's got he can't see as well. It's too. It's already dark enough at eight. He's like I can't see to to take. He's like where's the parachute in that I put? I can't see my sunglasses are on. (laughs) So so many mistakes. So many mistakes. Uh, And yeah, so jumping into a wooded area at night was a dangerous proposition for a seasoned pro. Let alone you know, let alone him. And evidence suggests Cooper. Did not really know how to parachute. Going to become Kufa Kebab. Yeah, exactly. Um, this theory was given an added boost in in 1980 when a young boy found a rotting package full of twenty dollar bills. Were you going to say something else? Oh, said rotting. No. I was like, um, oh god, oh god, that was a dark spin. <laughs> um, found a rotting package full of twenty dollar bills that matched the ransom money serial numbers. That boy is so he bored found, now. Yeah, I know. So he found some of the money was not all of it. Yeah, but some of the some money of was found. But I wonder whether it was in, in individual packages, so it could have just yeah, been like one. Yeah, there could be yeah. still more money out there. Again, so just if Cooper him. had survived, he had dropped some of the money. Yeah. Anyway, FBI agents um, later recovered 66 unidentified fingerprints aboard the airliner. The agents also found Cooper's black clip-on tie. 
He's not even cool enough to wear an actual tie. Maybe he's just like... If James Bond can do it, so can D.B. Cooper. Maybe he's just like my brother and doesn't know how to tie a tie. I know how to tie a tie. We'll teach my brother. Actually, that's a bit rude to my brother, I'm sure. He had to wear a tie like for five years, but at the start, me and my dad had to do it for him. Oh. I don't know how to tie a tie, so I just tied a knot. Oh, fair. No, I had to learn how to tie a tie because of work. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, so maybe he's just... Or maybe he can see how to put it on with his sunglasses. Yeah, maybe. He's yeah, had maybe. a few too many bobbins and and uh, yeah, no, some tie and a clip on tie just in case. And he, he got to the like, point where he's like, he has he to get like, on. Oh no, I've had a few too many bourbon sodas. Mm. Can't really tie it anymore. Oh yeah, and they uh, his tie clip and two of the four parachutes, one of which had been opened, and from whose cam- canopy two suspension lines had been cut. Odd, but. So no. maybe he got like tangled up in it, like if he was hanging from a tree. I think they found us on the airline. Oh, on the airline. Yeah. As he only took weird. one of them. Yeah. I don't know what he wanted for. Could the suspension lines have been cut by some of like someone else, like maybe. one of I was about to be like one of the good guys. This isn't a film, but then no. this is real life. Like one of the, the air stewards or something was like, oh, I know what I'm gonna do, vigilante, and they haven't come about it because they're like. He actually fucking died. Yeah, maybe. Oh, oh no, I just thought he'd no like idea. flow into a tree, but see no he's idea. actually gone. I don't have any more, more information on that point, so yeah. that is a mystery. Strange. Um, a precise search area was difficult to define as even small differences in estimates of the aircraft speed or the mm. environmental conditions along the flight path, which varied by location and altitude, changed Cooper's projected landing point considerably. An important variable was the length of time he remained in freefall before... Uh, pulling his ripcord if indeed he, he succeeded in opening a parachute at all again the sunglasses it was night time again the two, lack of skill yeah the lack of yeah just the he's had two bourbon sodas he's wearing sunglasses he doesn't know how to parachute we also don't know if he had anything to eat before yeah, this it's not he could have been drinking on an empty stomach he's a lightweight ladies mm-hmm. neither neither of the air force p- fighter pilots trailing along saw anything exit the airliner though what? either visually or on radar nor did they see a parachute open but at night, with extremely limited visibility yeah. and cloud cover obscuring any ground lighting below, an airborne black clad human figure could easily have gone undetected. How small of an object can radar pick up? Because I feel well, like yeah, even true. Like a plane is sometimes just like a dot. So how would they see a person? True. So yeah, it could yeah. have been I don't know how radar enough. works. Yeah. Um, the T-33 pilots never actually made visual contact the 727 either so they weren't even like super close to it yeah um in an experimental recreation the aircraft using the hijacking was like sort of using the same flight configuration and fbi agents pushed a 200 pound weight like weighted sled out of the open air stair and were able to reproduce the upward motion of the tail section described by the flight crew at 8 13 p.m it was concluded that 8.13pm was the most likely jump time. And at that moment, the aircraft was flying through a heavy rainstorm over the Lewis River in southwestern Washington. So, they, so the FBI... So he also, he also jumped in a heavy rainstorm. Yeah. So the FBI, one of the most, well, seemingly like most powerful intelligence forces in the world, was like, yeah, we don't have any dummies, so... Well, a sled. Let's just push a sled out. That's like a man. Yeah, yeah that'll do. Mm. Um, a month after the hijacking, the FBI distributed lists of the ransom serial numbers to financial institutions, casinos, racetracks, and other businesses that routinely conducted large cash transactions, mm-hmm. and to law enforcement agencies around the world. 
Northwest Orient offered a reward of 15% of the recovered money mm. to a maximum of $25. And in early 1972, the US Attorney General released the serial numbers to the general public. Um, and then it was eight years after when the boy found them, some of the uh, money. Did he get a reward? I, I don't know. So. He would never said. But the ransom so. money today would have been about $1.2 million. Damn. Yeah, I know. Um, and it's unclear about what happened to the rest of the money. We just know about that. One chunk of money that the boy found. I like to think that, like, he just drops, like, all of it because he's really clumsy. And then it's just made its way into, like, badger stems and stuff. And, like, <laughs> They're just hoarding it. Beaver's dams have, like, yes. ripped it up. And it's just pieces of... You know how, like, if you give, uh, like, squirrels or rats, like, yeah. paper or, even, rip or money, they will just leave it. Yeah, so I like to think honestly. that there's just money around, like, that particular area of forest yeah. as nests. Yeah, I think that could well possibly be what happened. Yeah, just I think that's the most likely stuff. Yeah, balling in their nests. Like, yeah, they have no they idea. They don't realise that they're sitting on a babble worth... piece of innovation. <laughs> their nest is worth like five thousand dollars. Exactly. Um, the New York Times reported in two thousand and eleven that the FBI filed on the case, which is available in an in an online vault, and it catalogues more than one thousand suspects. Uh, some supplied by psychics. I love it. You know, some supplied in. Some, some turned in by people suspicious of a family member. Me. <laughs> and some coming in deathbed confessions. Mm. Um, according to filmmaker and author Thomas Colbert, who has led the independent investigation into the cold case for the last seven years, the real Cooper is a 74-year-old Vietnam veteran named Robert Rackstraw. And the proof is hidden in a series of letters allegedly written by Cooper in the months after the hijacking and his disappearance. Interesting. Rackstraw, a former Special Forces paratrooper, which doesn't match the fact that they thought Cooper wasn't was trained. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But he, Rackstraw was a former Special Forces paratrooper, explosives expert and pilot with about 22 different um, aliases. Uh, was once a person of interest in the case, but was eliminated as a suspect by the FBI in 1979. His elimination was controversial amongst the investigating agents, and he remained for many the most viable suspect in what remains the, the you know the only unsolved case of air piracy in the United States. Mm-hmm. So Colbert believes that the FBI protected Rackstraw because he was involved in numerous classified units during the war and may have worked for the CIA. So he thinks it's an old-fashioned scandal. Mm. I know. Apparently, a representative for the FBI's Seattle field office told um, the magazine that I was reading this from. Rolling Stone, so it's not a, it's not it's a famous yeah. magazine, you know, yeah. um, that they have received an immense number of tips over the years, but none to date have resulted in a definitive identification of the hijacker. Um, but they did not respond to a request for comment on whether the FBI stonewalled an investigation into Rackstraw. Colbert and his 40-person team, 40 41 people, people are like, oh, 41. the yeah. thing is, I know this is an unsolved case, but it's not like anyone needs the closure. No one really no. needs the closure. I think it's just a thing of like, if it was like a murder victim, definitely let keep that. going. But it's just people being like, wow, wouldn't it be good if we could figure out if he stole our money? It's just money. It's just, just capitalism. Yeah. Just, and it's also, it's just government's money. It's just print some money. more. Uh, <laughs> That's no, not how no. it works. Like, Germany we'll be like... Later, that's not... <laughs> Germany, that's not how Germany in the 40s be like. Russia in the 20s. <laughs> Um, anyway, Colbert and his 40-person team, many of whom are former federal agents, say that D.B. Cooper's identity has been in the FBI's file all along, hidden in a series of letters sent to various newspapers in the months after the hijacking. 
While the first four letters had been made public, the FBI kept a fifth and sixth letter under wraps mm. until Colbert successfully sued for the Cooper case file under the Freedom of Information Act. Right. Um, Colbert claimed both letters contain coded messages that point directly at Rackstraw. According to the Post-Intelligencer, the newspaper contact, um, contacted Rackstraw. They wrote to him last November and they did not confirm or deny anything. Mm. Yeah. Suspicious. Rick Sherwood, another R name. So many R So R many R names. names. Rick so Sherwood. So many cool surnames as well. Yeah, Sherwood. Sherwood. Wow. Rackstraw. Sherwood. Rick Sherwood, Sherwood, a former member of the Army Security, a security Agency, which decoded signals during the Vietnam War, Cracked the codes in these letters. Oh, I love um, those. Rackstraw served under. Oh wait, Rackstraw served under Sherwood in two classified units, and Sherwood was familiar with his writing style, having de- deciphered some of his earlier messages. Oh, I love it. When he saw the fifth and sixth ty- uh, typewritten letters, he immediately thought that the odd letter and number combinations were indicative of the type of coded messages that Rackstraw would send. Mm-hmm. According to the Post Intelligencer, Sherwood spent weeks working on the solution, which allegedly referred to three specialized army units that just were soldier had served in. Mm-hmm. This letter, however, does not have any fingerprints or watermarks, and the FBI was never able to confirm a genuine connection to the previous Cooper letters, yeah. letters which limit its evidentiary value. Which is a real bummer, actually, because mm-hmm. according to Colbert and Sherwood, it contains a coded confession and the hijacker's real identity. Wow. And what is... Can they not decode it? <laughs> no, they have decoded it, but the FBI so what is it? Can you tell us then? They think it's Rackstraw. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So they're like, basically, it's like it's Rackstraw. I really like a good code because it just reminds me how bad at maths I am. You know, and they put like numbers and yeah. numbers together. Oh, I'm not so hard. Uh, there's one type of codey thing. If anyone knows like the um, code word crosswords in newspapers, I'm okay at them. I'm pretty mm. good at them. But I anything that involves any sort of theorem, I'm out the window. Yeah, I've had enough now. No, thank you. you. I watch all the Bletchley Circle and I don't understand a thing that they do. No, I watch the imitation game. And felt yes. really smart for about twenty so, minutes, and then I was like, "Oh no!" I, I went they online. All have, they all yeah. have I went online. I was like, "Oh, let me crack a code." So I tried like code cracking for beginners, and I couldn't do it. And then I looked, and it was like for age twelve and up. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm just like not that good at code. You're, you're not Kira Knightley in the Imitation Game. Oh, that's okay. It's a good film, though. Imitation it is, game. yeah, it is. I do. It's a very good film. I love it. The ending always makes me really sad. I know. Forties was a tough time. Tough time for everyone, but especially people who aren't white men. Oh, sorry. Uh, I mean, straight even, white men. Even now, he was a white man. Straight white men. Yeah. Speaking of straightish you, white men, you, you want to bring this up? I know. I love how I'm, happy this has made oh, you. Oh, I don't know what. It's just because, right? Uh, famous. Actor Elliot Page has come out as transgender. Transgender. Well, they're going by he they. So yeah, trans man or non-binary. Just makes me so happy because it's a fame, like a very well-known actor. Has He's come incredibly out. famous. Yeah, and has won awards, and that's mm-hmm. such a step. Yeah. And I know that he won awards before he was out, but it's still, but still such a step. It counts that we have a trans person in like, common media on Netflix and yeah. stuff. I'm like, oh, I love it. I love it so much. Hollywood A-lister. We love it. Mm-hmm. Say we, I'm, I'm forcing you to like it. So. No! I know you no. do. I know I'm you do. Happy. Because I, I just get happy about, like, gay things. But you've oh. been very excited all evening. Oh, it's just made me really happy. Yeah. Shout okay. out. 
Shout out to Elliot Page. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that was D.D. Cooper. <laughs> yeah. Circle back to the actual game. You know you have to write an essay and they're always like, circle like, oh, back to the question. In conclusion. <laughs> yeah. In conclusion. Oh, yeah. What a mystery. I, that's it's a fun one as well. It's a really fun one. Fun. Do you like it? I do yeah. like it. Mm-hmm. I also like in BuzzFeed Unsolved. <laughs> When they pull up the um, police sketch and then they're like, it kind of looks like Shane. Da- oh, <laughs> the sketch does look like Shane. Shane, we if you're listening. We have some questions for He's you. not listening. He's not listening. No. Maybe he's the one person in Washington. <laughs> but they live in LA. You know, he could have been in Washington when he listened to it. It's probably the one woman. Is it? <gasps> you, I think you can see the gender statistics of our analytics, and we only we have one hundred percent women listeners on Anchor. There's no oh, men. on Anchor. Yeah, yeah. right, There's, right. Zero men listen to us on Anchor. Not surprising, yeah. to be fair. I feel like yeah. true, true, true crime, crime podcasts are quite female dominated. Yeah, I like that. I like that too. Well, my course is female dominated. Well, yeah, like, well, hugely. All the ologies are though. I mean, yeah, no, no, I agree. Psychology, sociology, criminology. Yeah, yeah. They are all quite yeah. female dominated. Although, when I was looking at the forensic science courses, uh, when I was going around, it was the same in a few of them. Quite really? female dominated, yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. Apart from the one that was analytical chemistry and forensics, which I'm so glad. Can you imagine me doing that? I can. I think I can. Oh, no. Oh, wow. Not well. I can imagine me doing it. Badly. But that's the thing, I think you'd enjoy it. I think oh. it'd give you several breakdowns, but I think you'd oh. still enjoy it. Oh, we don't have time to unpack all that. No, we don't. <laughs> we don't. I want to go to bed. Me too. Right, well, anyway. That thank you for listening. Oh my god, it's half twelve. I know. We we have been really going for it. Wow. That's what DBQ will do to you. Yeah, exactly. This is way longer than it needed to be. <laughs> yeah. Right, bye Thanks everyone. For listening. Bye. See you next time.